0: CHAPTER TWENTY OF RAIDING WITH MORGAN BY BYRON DUNN THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN Calhoun AWAKES TO LIFE For two weeks Calhoun hovered between life and death, but at last his rugged constitution conquered. During this time, Joyce was unremitting in her attention. I must save him for the sake of Mark, she would say. I cannot bear to have his blood on Mark's hands. In speaking to Joyce's aunt, Matilda Goodson said, "'The poor child will hardly let me do anything. She wants to do it all.' Miss Crawford fretted and fumed, but it did no good. In this, Joyce would have her way. Calhoun's fever had been growing less day by day, and the time came when it left him, and he lay in a quiet and restful slumber. But his breathing was so faint Joyce was almost afraid it was the sleep which precedes death. It was near the close of an August day. The weather had been warm and sultry, but a thunder shower had cooled and cleared the atmosphere, and the earth was rejoicing in the baptism it had received. The trees seemed to ripple with laughter, as the breeze shook the raindrops from their leaves. The grass was greener, the flowers brighter, on account of that same baptism. The birds sang a sweeter song. What is more beautiful than nature after a summer shower? It was at such a time that Calhoun awoke to life and consciousness. A delicious lethargy was over him. He felt no pain, and his bed was so soft he seemed to be resting on a fleecy cloud. He tried to raise his hand, and found to his surprise he could not move a finger. Even his eyes for a time refused to open. Slowly, his memory came back to him. How, in the fierce conflict, he tried to break through the line and sought to cut down an officer who opposed him. Then, there came a flash, a shock, and he remembered nothing more. Where was he now? Had he passed through that great change called death? By a great effort, he'd opened his eyes and was bewildered. He was in a strange room by an open window, sat a young girl she had been reading but the book was now lying idly in her lap, and she was looking, apparently, into vacancy. The rays of the setting sun streamed in through the windows and touched her hair and face and clothes with its golden beams. Calhoun thought he had never seen a being so lovely. Her beauty was such as he fancied could be found only in the realms above. Yet she was mortal. He could not take his eyes from her. She turned her head, saw him gazing at her. Uttering a little exclamation of surprise, she arose and came swiftly, but noiselessly, to his side. "'Who are you? Where am I?' Calhoun whispered, faintly. "'Hush, hush,' she said, in low, sweet tones. "'You must not talk. You have been sick, very sick. You are better now.' She gave him a cordial. He took it, and, with a gentle sigh, closed his eyes and sank to sleep again. Before he was quite gone, it seemed to him that soft, tremulous lips touched his forehead, and a teardrop fell upon his cheek. Its memory remained with him as a beautiful dream, and it was long years before he knew it was not a dream. Dr. Hopkins was delighted when he called in the evening, and learned that his patient had awakened with his fever gone, and in his right mind. All that he needs now, he said, is careful nursing, and he will get well. But mind, do not let him talk, and tell him nothing of what has happened until he gains a little strength. From that time Calhoun gained slowly but surely. When he became strong enough to bear it, Joyce told him all that had happened. He could scarcely realize that over a month had passed since he had been wounded. "'Then that stand of mine did not save Morgan?' said Calhoun, sorrowfully. "'No, he was taken a few hours afterwards,' answered Joyce. "'He and his officers are now in the penitentiary at Columbus.' Calhoun could hardly believe what he heard. "'Then we are to be treated as felons, are we?' he asked bitterly. "'They are afraid he might escape from a military prison,' replied Joyce. "'But the people are very bitter against him.' "'Some are clamoring that he be tried and executed.' "'They will not dare do that,' exclaimed Calhoun excitedly. "'No, I do not think there is any danger that way,' replied Joyce. "'But they want to keep him safe.' "'Well, they may. But Morgan will yet make them trouble. No prison will hold him long.' "'There, there. Don't let us talk about it any more,' said Joyce. "'It will worry you back into a fever.' "'You have saved my life,' said Calhoun fervently. "'How can I ever repay you for what you have done?' Joyce did not reply. Calhoun lay silent for some time, and then suddenly said, "'I am one of Morgan's hated officers, and yet you are caring for me. "'As for a brother, what makes you do it?' "'Why shouldn't,' I said, Joyce. "'I have a dear brother in the Army. "'I am only doing by you as I would have him done by if he should fall wounded.' And then Joyce stopped. She could not tell him. It was her brother who had shot him. A great light came to Calhoun. Joyce, Joyce, he cried. I now understand. It was your brother who shot me. Oh, forgive him, forgive him, cried Joyce. He told me it was to save his own life that he did it. Why, Joyce, there is nothing to forgive. Your brother is a brave, a gallant officer. Then he has been here? "'Yes, and he knew you. "'He bade me nurse you as I would nurse him, in like condition. "'Just like a brave soldier. "'But are there none who find fault with my being here, "'treated like a prince?' "'Yes, one. His name is Andrew Harmon. "'It was his horse you were riding when you came here. "'He seems to hate you, and is doing all he can "'to have you taken to Columbus. "'He says you treated him most brutally when he was captured.' I did kick him, answered Calhoun, laughing. He was on the ground, bellowing like a baby. I never saw a more abject coward. I kicked him and told him to get up. He has a different story, said Joyce, smiling, and then she told the wonderful story of Harmon's capture, as related by himself. His capacity for lying is equaled only by his cowardness, said Calhoun indignantly. Yes, he is a man to be feared, said Joyce for he is rich and has influence, although everyone knows him to be a coward." The days that passed were the happiest Calhoun had ever spent. He told Joyce of his Kentucky home, of his cousin Fred, how noble and true he was, and of his own adventures in raiding with Morgan. She never tired of listening. Is it strange that these two hearts were drawn close to each other? They lived in a sweet dream, a dream which did not look to the future. But almost unknown to them, Cupid had come and shot his shafts, and they had gone true. The day came when Calhoun was able to be placed in an easy chair and drawn to an open window. It was a proud day to him, yet it was the beginning of sorrow. The doctor came and congratulated him on his improvement. "'Dr. Hopkins, how can I thank you for your kindness?' he said. "'You have done so much for me.' "'You need not thank me. "'Thank that young lady there,' replied the doctor, pointing to Joyce. "'She it was who saved your life.' "'I know.' "'No reward I could give, would ever repay her,' answered Calhoun. "'I can only offer to be her slave for life.' "'Your offer is not accepted. "'You are well aware I do not believe in slavery,' replied Joyce, with a merry laugh. "'When the doctor was ready to go, he asked for a private interview with Joyce.' It was hard work for him to say what he had to say. He choked and stammered, but at last Joyce understood what he meant. He had promised the government officials to inform them when Calhoun could be moved without endangering his life. "'That time has come,' but, said he, as he noticed the white face of Joyce, "'I shall recommend that he be allowed to remain two weeks longer, as there is no danger of his running away in his weak condition.' But Joyce hardly heard him. And. and this means, she whispered, the penitentiary at Columbus. Joyce shuddered. And. and there's no way to prevent this? No, God knows I would if I could. Thank you, doctor. I might have known this would have to come, but it is so sudden. The doctor went out shaking his head. I'm afraid harm has been done, he said to himself. Just as he was getting into his gig to drive away, Andrew Harmon came riding by. He glanced up and saw Calhoun sitting by the window. "'So your patient is able to sit up,' he exclaimed with a sneer. "'About time he were in the penitentiary where he belongs, isn't it?' "'I don't know how that concerns you,' replied the doctor coldly as he drove away. "'Oh, ho, my fine fellow, I will show you whether it concerns me or not,' muttered Harmon, looking after him. That night Harmon wrote to the authorities at Columbus, stating it as his opinion that there was a scheme on foot to detain Lieutenant Pennington until he was well enough to slip away. He was not aware that Dr. Hopkins had reported on the condition of his patient every week, and had already sent a letter saying he could be moved with safety, but recommending he be allowed to remain two weeks longer on account of his weak condition. Harmon not only wrote to Columbus, but also to Mr. Crawford, hinting that it was dangerous for his daughter to care for Calhoun longer. You know, he wrote, that girls of the age of Joyce are inclined to be romantic. As for Joyce, when the doctor left her, she sank into a chair, weak and faint. She saw Andrew Harmon gazing up at the window where Calhoun was, and a terror seized her. She now knew that she loved Calhoun, but with that knowledge also came the thought that her love was hopeless, that even if Calhoun returned her love, her father would never consent to their union. He would rather see her dead than married to a rebel, especially a hated Morgan raider. Long did she struggle with her own heart, her sense of duty, her ideas of patriotism, and duty conquered. She would give him up, but she would save him. It was evening before she could muster strength to have the desired interview with Calhoun, When she did enter the room, it was with a step so languid, a face so pinched and drawn, that Calhoun stared in amazement. "'Joyce, what is it?' he cried. "'Are you sick?' "'Not sick, only a little weary,' she answered, as she sank into a chair and motioned for the nurse to leave them. No sooner was she gone than Joyce told Calhoun what had happened. Her voice was so passionless that Calhoun wondered if she cared, wondered if he had been mistaken in thinking she loved him. "'Joyce, do you care if I go to prison?' he asked. "'Care!' she cried. "'The thought is terrible. "'You shall not go. "'I will save you.' "'Joyce, Joyce, tell me that you love me, "'and it will make my cell in prison a heaven. "'Don't you see that I love you, "'that you saved my poor life, "'only that I might give it to you? "'Joyce, say that you love me.' For answer she sank on her knees by his bedside, and laid her head on his breast. He put his weak arms around her and held her close. For a while she remained still, then, gently disengaging his arms, she arose. There was a look on her face that Calhoun did not understand. The first embrace and the last, she sighed. Oh, Calhoun, why did we ever meet? What do you mean? he asked, his lips growing white. I mean that our love is hopeless. Father will never consent to our marriage. I feel it, know it. Without his consent, I shall never marry. But save you from prison, I will. Joyce, do you not love me? said Calhoun bitterly. As my life, she cried, Yet you say you can never marry me. Without my father's consent, I cannot. Joyce, let's not borrow trouble. Even with your father's consent, we could not marry now. I am a prisoner. The war is going on, but it cannot last forever. When it is over, when peace is declared, I will come to you. Then, and not till then, will I ask your father for your hand. Let us hope the skies will be brighter by that time. That to be one of Morgan's men will not be a badge of dishonor, even in the North. Oh, Calhoun, if I could only hope, I will hope. Come to me after the war is over. Father's consent may be won.' But now, the prison, the prison. I must save you. I have thought it all out. How can you save me, a poor, weak mortal, who cannot take a step without help?' asked Calhoun. "'Put you in a carriage tomorrow night and take you where they cannot find you.' "'So soon?' The doctor said he would ask for two weeks. Two more weeks with you, Joyce. I could afford to go to prison for that.' "'Don't talk foolishly. I feel... "'If I don't get you away tomorrow night, I cannot at all.' "'But you, will it endanger you, Joyce?' "'Not at all. "'But how will you explain my disappearance?' "'Suppose you have been shaman, better than we thought you were. "'And so you gave us the slip.' "'A right mean trick?' said Calhoun. "'No, a Yankee trick, a real good one. "'Now listen, Calhoun, and I will tell you about how I'm going to get you away.' Some six miles from here a colored man lives, whom my father has greatly befriended. He will do anything for me, I ask. I shall tell him you are a sick soldier, and for good reasons wish to remain in hiding until you get well. Will he know I am one of Morgan's men? asked Calhoun. No, he will think you are a Federal soldier, Calhoun. As much as you may hate it, you must don the Union blue. That would make a spy of me. No, it wouldn't either, if I keep clear of any military post. That's good. I have a Federal uniform in the house, which will about fit you. A friendless soldier died here a short time ago. We took him in and cared for him during his last sickness. He had been discharged for wounds received at Fair Oaks. Here is the discharge. I think it fits you close enough, so it may be of use to you. She handed him the discharge. He took it and read it. James Brown, age nineteen, height five feet nine inches, weight one hundred and sixty pounds, complexion dark, hair and eyes black. Why, Joyce, with that in my pocket and wearing a federal uniform, I could travel anywhere in the north. So I thought. We will cheat that old prison yet, but it is time you were asleep. God bless you, Joyce, replied Calhoun. Give me a kiss before you go. She smiled and threw him one as she went out, and he had to be content with that. She had not stopped to consider what the result might be if she helped Calhoun to escape. Her only thought was to save him from going to prison. To do this she would dare anything. The colored man of whom she spoke was to be at the farm in the morning to do some work. A fear had seized her that she might be too late The fear was well grounded. The authorities at Columbus had resolved to move Calhoun at once. The request of Dr. Hopkins that he be allowed to remain two weeks longer, although he said he could be removed without danger, aroused their suspicion. Not only that, but the letter of Andrew Harmon to Mr. Crawford had alarmed that gentleman, and he was already on his way home. Abram Prather, the colored man, was seen by Joyce as soon as he made his appearance. Missy Joyce, I'd just do anything for you. Me and the old woman will keep him all right. So everything was arranged. Joyce breathed freer, yet she waited impatiently for the night. End of chapter 20